The Sober Highway Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Brainwashed Coffee Company. We all know how important coffee is to the recovery community, but what's even more important is that Brainwashed Coffee Company donates 50% of its proceeds to people in addiction recovery. And not to mention their coffee is delicious as well. Visit brainwashedcoffeeco.com and use promo code SOBERHIGHWAY at checkout for 20% off your coffee order. What better way to support people in recovery than with a great bag or bundle of brainwashed coffee? Brainwashed Coffee Company. Simple coffee for complicated people. What's going on, everybody? We are back for episode nine of the Sober Highway podcast. We have a great episode for you uh, today. Uh, Because we are recording this on Super Bowl Sunday, I thought this would be a great time to discuss pathological gambling. So we're going to talk a little bit about gambling. And then in the second portion of the episode, we're going to talk about the addictive personality. Is it real or is it fake? You'll find out later on the Sober Highway Podcast. Get ready, get set, and let's go. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. My name is Dan. And my name is Anika. And welcome to the Sober Highway Podcast. We are two young social workers who have dedicated our lives and careers to affecting change in the addiction recovery community. We want to use this podcast as a platform to take the things we have learned over the course of our careers and share it with our listeners. At the end of the day, we hope to inspire as many people as we can to make a change and live a lifestyle free of drugs and alcohol. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. It's uh, it's a tough thing with this snow, you know, because I mean, at least for me, it's it's hard um, because I have I have like a two hour commute to work every day. Yeah. You know, like to get and to, they the, expect you to be there, too. Like, I remember when I worked yeah. in the city at a hospital and I was still living on Long Island and then I moved into the city. But it took me like two hours and was like, doesn't matter if it's snowing, whatever, if the trains don't work, don't you still have to be there? Yeah. And. It's it's interesting because they they treat us. I don't want to say like we're like we're not important, but like we're secondary compared to like the medical staff. Mm-hmm. So like when they when they move, like we don't have like a set space. Like we're working in like one of the like one of the early care units that's like not operating during certain parts of the day, but like. They treat us like we're secondary staff and then they expect us to be on call. You're like, they expect us to be there all the time, like when we're supposed to be there. So, you know, it's tough. But then again, the service that we're providing is not something really that we can provide remotely. Yeah. So it, it sucks. Um, but it is it is Super Bowl Sunday. So are you watching are you watching the Super Bowl this uh tonight? I'm going to watch it. I really I used to be into football. I haven't been in years, so mm. I don't really have a team, we'll say. Okay. Uh well, I figured that this would be the perfect time to talk about uh to talk about gambling. Yeah. Cuz it is probably the I would argue that the Super Bowl is probably one of the most highly 
betted on sporting events. Um, Definitely. I think I'm going to, I'm going to Google it right now. I hope, I hope that the keyboard doesn't get picked up on the microphone. Um, most gambled on sporting events. Okay. Sporting events with the largest betting volumes. Okay. So the first one is the world cup, obviously, cause that's a world sport. Then the super bowl and March madness, the Kentucky Derby boxing and the world series. So think about that, right? This is, this is the second most gambled on sporting event in the world. Um, so this year they're expecting $6.8 billion to be bet across the board for this game. That's a lot of money. That is a lot. Excuse. That's a lot of fucking money. When you're, (laughs) when you're, when you're talking about that amount of money, that's what, that's what I've always grown up and called it. I've called it fuck you money because you could literally just do whatever you want with it. And when someone says, well, why are you doing that? You just, you're like, because fuck you. That's why. Yeah. Anyway, but anyway, um, so let's go over a little bit about gambling because I think it is important that we talk about it. It is I consider it to be one of the potentially addictive behaviors. Yes. Um, according to the DSM, which is the the diagnostic manual that that we use to to diagnose our patients with, you know, with substance use disorders, other mental health disorders as well. It defines pathological gambling as the following, you must meet the following criteria. Okay. Preoccupation with gambling, a need to gamble with increasing amounts of money in order to achieve the desired excitement, repeated unsuccessful efforts to control or cut back or stop your gambling, experiencing irritability when attempting to cut down or stop gambling. Using gambling as a way to escape from problems or to relieve a dysphoric mood. So to relieve feelings of helplessness, guilt, anxiety, and depression. After losing money when you're gambling, returning another day to get even, right? So chasing your losses. Lying to family members, to your therapist or others to conceal the extent of your involvement with gambling. Committing illegal acts to finance your gambling, jeopardizing or losing a significant relationship, job, or educational career, educational educational or career opportunity because of your gambling, and lastly, relying on others to provide money to relieve a desperate financial situation caused by gambling. So I don't know about you, but like to me, that sounds a lot like the diagnostic criteria for addiction. Yeah. You think about it, like you can impact in your life, right. In multiple areas, your relationships, your job legally, et cetera. Right. It's, it's mm-hmm. impacting lots of areas, just like any other addiction. Right. And, and not to mention that, like, especially in New York where, you know, sports gambling in the, in the sense of like, you know, this like when you're betting on the Super Bowl. And say like March Madness and stuff like that, like that's still illegal in New York. So not only are you, you know, that 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 kind of just increases the parallel between this and you know you and and using drugs because you're engaging in something that makes you feel good, but it's also illegal. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are there are legal forms of gambling in the states, right? Like they have you could bet on horses. You know, they have casinos where you can go and you can gamble in New York. But, you know, depending on where in New York you are there, it's only electronic games. There's no actual table games. Yeah. And then, and then there's like lottery, right? Scratch right. Off. There's the lottery. Scratchies. The good old scratchies. 
Um, but, um, but the other thing I think that comes with, with gambling too, that makes it, you know, so similar to other addictions is like the urge, right? Mm-hmm. So like the, that, like a uncontrollable, like thought of like, I need to do this. Mm-hmm. Right. Or using it as an unhealthy coping skill with something else. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that you had mentioned, that's kind of like the criteria of like, let me deal with my feelings by doing this. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it's so, it's also very easy, especially in places where, especially in places like take Nevada, for example, in Vegas, where, where not only is gambling legal, in fact, it's part of their, it's part of the allure of coming to Vegas, right? Weed is legal there. Alcohol is legal there. So imagine compounding one potentially addictive behavior with two more in drinking and smoking marijuana. Imagine the the potential risks that someone who is struggling with an, a, a substance use disorder could have. Like ima- imagine that that situation that they're putting themselves in. Mm-hmm. I actually did. I actually did a project in again in school about pathological gambling. And one of the things that my, like my focus was on, was on the casinos. Okay. And because obviously like sports betting is technically not legal yet in New York. So um, my, my focus was on the casinos and I learned, I learned a lot of things when I delved into this and I would urge you to jump in whenever you feel that you have something to add. Yeah. You know, unfortunately with gambling, I have dealt with some clients that, Mm -hmm. that um, have, you know, gambling addiction, but it's definitely not my forte. I know a little bit about it, but it's not my area of expertise. It's, it's not mine either, which is why I urge anybody who's listening to this that has any expertise in pathological gambling to please DM us. Um, if you yourself are struggling with a gambling addiction, all come, please DM us and offer us some insight because we're always looking to hear from people. Um, but from, from my experience, the casino, first of all, when you go to a casino, every single game that you could possibly play in the casino is designed so that the house always has an advantage always there is no game that you can walk into in the casino where you can play it and you have a better chance of winning than the house like even when you go first of all even when you go to the atm to take out money at the casino they charge you an arm and a leg like, well, casinos are designed for people to to kind of continue to spend money, right? You walk right. in. I, re- I remember even being a little kid, I went to like Atlantic City with my family. Mm-hmm. I remember walking in. I was like, oh my gosh, everything's so shiny and lit up and like, oh. It looked I, like I a just, carnival. It looked like right? a carnival. Yeah. And so that, that was one of the first things is, right? Like you hear, you see all these blinking lights and the sounds and whatnot. First of all, not everybody's winning at the casino, right? So when you see all these blinking lights going off and you hear all these bells and whistles and whatnot, those are just the casino making those noises so that you th- you hear or you think people are winning. And then that's going to make you want to gamble more and more money to increase your chances of winning. But like I said before, the odds are always going to be in favor of the house. So at the end of the day, you're, you're going to be a loser. The second thing I I learned about was the slot machines. Okay. Slot machines. Um, I've, I've heard from people that people like to play the slot machines because it doesn't involve any skill or you don't really need to know that much about gambling to, to gamble on the slots. You put the coins in, you pull the lever now you don't even need to do that. Now it's like a little button you press. Right, right, <laughs> right. So they advertise that the slot machines have a 99% payout rate, right? And 
that is very enticing to people, right? They think that they think that because it pays out 99% of the time that they're going to win a lot of money. But when you think about it, what that's basically saying is for every dollar you win or every dollar you bet, you're going to win back 99 cents. So the more and more you play, like the first $20 you play with, you could win all of it back. And then the next $20 you play with, you could lose every penny of it. Or, and then the next $20, you could win half. And then the next $20 you play, you could win back 15. And then the next $20 you play back, you could win five. But eventually what they're saying is the more and more and more you gamble with, you're going to win back nine. You're going to get close to that average of about 99%, which when you look at it is a loser. You're yeah. gambling with a dollar. You're winning back 99 cents. You're losing money. And people are throwing down exorbitant amounts of cash in these slot machines. They're not winning all of it back. So the more and more you play, the more likely you're going to, the odds are going to even out to where you lose every time. Like, 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 like I was saying before, when it comes down to the house, always having an advantage, that's the advantage they have in the slots. Okay. Um, when you go to like the roulette table, I mean, I would say (laughs) roulette is one of the biggest gimmicks out there because the odds are, you know, for the, for those of you that, that don't know what roulette is, because I've, I've met a lot of people that don't know what roulette is. Roulette is basically the game where they, it's like a, it's like a round little thing that spins and then you shoot a little, like a little white ball in there and it falls into one of the numbered slots. The slots are also either red or black. And depending on where the ball lands, you can win or lose money in a, in a, I don't, I don't want to go too much in depth because I don't want people to start actually playing this game. But um, that game is, it, it's all the games are rigged. It's so rigged and it's not, I don't even know. It, it, it frustrates me that, that people go, that, that people make livings out of gambling like playing like roulette and playing slots and playing blackjack and stuff like that, because the house is always, the house is always in, has the advantage. You never, if even, even the professionals have bad days at the casino, they get beat, you know, the casino just has its way with them that day and they end up losing a lot of money. And a lot of us, common folk don't have the luxury of being able to lose that much money. And when, you know, when you have a bad day at the casino, that could cripple you financially. Yeah. And that's what what drives people to this, to this addiction. Yeah. And, and the, the consequences are really severe, right? So people lose like their life savings, their house, their, their marriages, their families. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is very severe and significant. And then of course you have the, some people that can gamble occasionally appropriately without any issue. Right. Right. Well, that's, that's what we call, that's what we call the social gambler. Right. And this is, this applies perfectly to the other the other substances that we're talking about, you know, like if you can, if you can go to the the casino with a bunch of friends and, you know, you can go there and say, I'm only going to spend $20. If I lose $20, then I'm, then that's it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to keep gambling and try and win my money back. It's not, it's not my goal to win money when I'm going to the casino with my friends. My goal is to have a, have a fun time. Right. If that, if you can do that, that's what you call a social gambler. Same thing with when it comes to alcohol, right? If you're going out to a bar and you say, I'm only going to have one drink, I'm only going to have two drinks. My goal is not to get fucked up. My goal is to spend time with my friends and, and, and have some, have some good food, have some good conversation and get home safely. Then that's what you call a social drinker or a social drug user. Right. 
Um, but once it gets to the point where you're not going, like you're not able to do that, then then it becomes a problem, right? Like it's okay to be excessively enthusiastic about something, but when it starts to negatively impact your life, then it comes, then you have to say to yourself, yeah, maybe this is a problem. Yeah. And, and I think that's important to kind of know too, that just kind of like all of the other addictions that we kind of talk about too, that most people that, that gamble do not develop a gambling addiction. Um, but, but there is a, a, po- a certain population that does, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a certain percentage of people. And it goes across the board. Typically, mm-hmm. there are some risk factors that make mm-hmm. it more common. But again, these don't necessarily mean that this is a cause, mm-hmm. right? So like um, men typically have a higher rate of gambling addiction than women, mm-hmm. right? I've, um, also, I've also noticed that a lot of, a lot of gambling occurs more in you know, lower income communities, right? Because like, for example, like you ever notice how you ever notice how the person who wins like the Powerball jackpot or like the publisher's clearing house, you know, it's always someone from like, at least I've noticed it's always someone from like a lower income community. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I used to joke about it. Because like I used to play the lottery every time from time to time, you know, when the jackpot's like a billion dollars, you can't help but like throw a couple dollars on it and say, what the hell? If I win, I win. If I don't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, But it's always like it's always someone from a low income community because they need the money the most. Right. A cut like one or two dollars and you could potentially win. A billion dollars that's a hell of a return on that investment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I lost my trend. I can't remember where I was going with that. Well, <laughs> think, think about it. I'll, I'll talk about some other risk factors, ahead, right. That, that kind of are associated again, not causal, but associated with it. Um, having some mental health issues, right. Mm-hmm. Um, other substance use issues, mm-hmm. um, personality disorders, depression, anxiety, um, mm-hmm. bipolar, right. Um, OCD or even ADHD. Right. So that like runs oh, like yeah. a course of a lot of different things that can be uh-huh. associated, um, age. So typically younger and middle-aged, um, people are, mm-hmm. uh, I guess the percentage wise, it's a little more common. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can be a problem for older adults as well, right? Who mm-hmm. are living on fixed incomes and things like oh, that. Yeah. That could be significantly detrimental to their living mm-hmm. situations. Um, like I said, men typically um, have higher rates of compulsive gambling. Um, also, who you surround yourself with. So if, if you have friends and family who have a gambling problem, um, it kind of increases your chances of having right. an issue. This is something that we were. I think we were saying... I think I was saying a couple of weeks ago when I was debunking some myths about addiction, when I, I read something that said, if your father was an alcoholic, then you, then you will become one. It's not necessarily true. There's no genetic marker for it. That's been identified just yet. But if that environment exists where, you know, drinking or getting high or even gambling is, is normalized, then the chances of you developing that behavior when you get to that age is exponentially higher. Yeah. Um, and then there's actually an interesting thing with medications. Really? I mean, yeah. I'm so medications that are, uh, medications that are used to treat Parkinson's and restless leg syndrome, um, basically Ooh. medications that are dopamine agonists have a rare side effect um, that can increase compulsive behaviors. So not necessarily gambling, but compulsive behaviors and gambling can fall under that. Right. So like compulsive shopping, gambling, compulsive eating. Mm-hmm. Those type of things. Um, so again, that doesn't mean that everybody that takes those medications in any way, shape, or form is going to develop this, but it is a rare side effect that they actually note, and and the drug companies know this. That's very interesting. Um, Let's see know. here. Another thing that that I wanted to that I wanted to add to the the whole casino thing was that you ever notice how when you walk into a casino no matter what time of day no, no matter what time of year it is it's always freezing cold in there 
It's always freezing cold and it's always like you can't tell what time of day it is either. Right. That was going to be the next thing. It's always freezing cold and you can never, ever tell what time it is. Right. Because the cold air is always going to keep you awake. And if you're spending money in this establishment where the house always has an advantage on you, do you really think that they're going to want you to know what time of day it is? So that you can look outside and be like, oh, shit, like I should probably get home. Like, no, they're not going to do that. Like whenever you walk into a casino, you always have to like turn a corner or like walk behind something to find the gaming floor because the casino doesn't want their gamblers to know that it's nighttime or that it's daytime. So the casino is always going to do things. Uh, to 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 make sure that you don't leave. Yeah, and and even you know you are gambling, and can I get you a drink? Right, the cocktail waitresses or waiters come over and and bring you drinks because you're gambling, right? And, and those drinks are free, mind you. Free. When you're if yeah. you're staying at the casino and you're gambling all weekend or whatever it is, they're going to bring you free alcohol. And and that you know can if you don't have a substance use problem, right. And, and you're a social drinker can still lower your inhibitions right? Absolutely, right? spend more than you want. And for people that do struggle with substance abuse of some sort, right. That mm-hmm. could be a, even worse, right. Trying to, mm-hmm. it's like a double whammy of like, okay, here, here are all these drinks, spend all your money, right. Gambling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it can be a very dangerous environment mm-hmm. for some people. I remember that, I remember that uh, we, when I was working at this outpatient program, we um, we met with this woman from the um, the pro- the Long Island Problem Gambling Resource Center, and she talked about all of these things. First of all, if you live, if you're in the state of New York, you can always call. Um, 1-800-HOPE-NY. They can always help you with any potentially addictive behaviors that you're, that you're experiencing. Um, there's also, if you live in, if you live in Queens, I'm looking here. If you live in Queens, you can call 347-761-3103. If you live in the Bronx, you can call 929-222-9566. Sorry, I'm going through all these now. I'm going down this rabbit hole. Okay, if you live on, go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> if you live in Staten Island, I believe the same uh, 929-955-3062. If you live in Manhattan, 929-955-3061. And last but not least, Brooklyn. Where Brooklyn at? Okay, 917-994-8377. Did we do the national one? I'm going to get to that. If you okay. live if you live in Nassau County, you can call 516-226-8342. And I think Suffolk County is the same one, even though Suffolk is 631. Um The National Council on Problem Gambling, you can always call them at 1-800-522-4700. And I think that it's important for people to know these are great hotlines, either locally or nationally, that you can call if you feel like you have a problem with gambling. Um, Treatment in general um, is using a couple modalities, right? So the most common, I think a lot of people use... um, a 12 step based program, gamblers anonymous, right? GA. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, that's based on our 12 step model. Um, so some people find that that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people also use smart recovery because they deal with a lot of, um, additional, um, addictions and compulsive behaviors. And again, that uses that cognitive behavioral therapy. That's really helpful with some of those type of things. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another resource. Um, and again, these are, are like local ones that if you kind of Google it, you can find what's in your area. Right. Um, and then a lot of people also just use individual therapy, right? So mm-hmm. again, individual therapy that kind of uses some motivational interviewing or cognitive behavioral therapy. Right. A lot of times when you go to like an outpatient program for substance use, they also have um, some people, they could also have people there that specialize with gambling. Um when you're looking for, I believe when you're searching for resources on New York state's website, you can filter out, you can filter out for programs that address gambling issues as well. Um, my chair squeaking has been squeaking this whole episode. I apologize. I need to get a chair that doesn't squeak, but anyway, um, like there are ways to find specifically like resources specifically allocated towards gambling. Before we get into the next segment of our episode, um, I just wanted to remind you guys to check out our sponsor, Brainwashed Coffee Company. They are an amazing, amazing company to partner with. They are donating 50% of their proceeds to people in addiction recovery. So if you go to their website, brainwashedcoffeeco.com, and use the promo code SOBERHIGHWAY at checkout, you'll get 20% off your coffee order. Plus, if you buy three or more bags, you'll get free shipping. I don't know about you, but I love hearing the sound of free shipping. Um, I personally love their higher powder roast. It's more of a darker roast. I use it for my cold brew coffee every morning. It's great. It's great. It's delicious. Please check it out. Brainwashedcoffeeco.com. Use the promo code SOBERHIGHWAY at checkout for 20% off your coffee order. And now, back to the podcast. Okay. So... I don't know if you've heard this term before, Anika, but a lot of my clients have told me, you know, when I ask them to explain why they do the things that they do, you know, like why they always engage in this type of behavior, they always say it's because that they have an addictive personality. And yep, when I, I've, I've heard that a lot. Right. And like when I ask them what what does that mean to have an addictive personality? They're like, oh, well, you know, you always got to take things to the extreme. You can never have enough of something. Um, any, anything that you do, you become addicted to it and it could potentially ruin your life. It doesn't matter what it is. And I always explain to them that the addictive personality is a myth. And they're like, no, it's not. And I'm going to tell them and I tell them, by the time I'm done talking to you today, I'm going to get you to agree with that. And they, they almost always like take that bet, which is crazy because we were just talking about problem gambling, but <laughs> um, I read them this article and I talk about it with them as I go through it. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. And then by the end, they're like, wait a second, you're actually right. So I figured I'd share it with people with with the with our listeners and see what they think. So one of the things that the that the author of this article starts off by saying is that you all you really have to talk about how the word addiction is defined in the first place. Can right? I just ask which article this is? Okay, so this is an article called The Myth of the Addictive Personality. It was written by um Mark Griffiths who's a PhD um, it was on, it's on psychologytoday.com. I'll actually post the link to it. Oh, perfect. Um, Cause I was going to say, yeah, just for our listeners, if they want to check it out and read it. Absolutely. I will certainly post that. Um, so he, they talk about, he talks about how it's important that you, you talk about how addiction is defined. Most of the time, you know, when, when you hear that, you know, say like a TV show is addicting or a book is an addictive read. It talks, you know, you're talking about those things. You're using the word addiction in a positive way to say that something is good. And not to say that for this whole time, we've been using addict addiction as a, as word is having a, a negative connotation, but, you know, given how we've spoken about addiction, since we've started this podcast to call use to use the word addiction and use that the word addiction in a good way it kind of is a 180 um so it goes into talking about how 
Let me find the part. So the guy who wrote this article did a study um, uh, of all the different, you know, where they pulled all these different articles related to other potentially addictive behaviors like um, smoking tobacco, drinking alcohol, taking illicit drugs, um, compulsive eating, compulsive gambling, internet use, love, otherwise known as codependency, sex, exercise, working, and shopping. Okay. Um, and after doing all of this research, they basically reported that 47% of the U.S. adult population suffers from a maladaptive sign of an addictive behavior over a 12-month period. So in short, they were basically saying there's a lot of caveats to it, but their findings indicated that at any one time, almost half the U.S. population are addicted to one or more things. Now, it does, it's not necessarily smoking, uh, smoking tobacco, drinking alcohol, drugs, eating, gambling, all those things that I was talking about. But one, there, almost half the U.S. population at any point in time is addicted to one or more uh, behaviors. And so what would some of those, because I want to like ask these questions, right? Since our listeners are not active right this second. But like, so what are some of those other addictive things that come up then? It could be, it could be, um, what was I going to say? Um, it could be like coffee. If you're addicted to coffee, right? Coffee's not on the list. You're spending a lot of money on coffee. Um, yeah, your $5 a day Starbucks habit. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, if you're into collecting things and you're spending a lot of money on those things, right? It's not necessarily, I mean, yeah, that kind of falls into shopping, but you're, you're hyper-focused on one specific thing. Um, so you're not spending necessarily your entire paycheck on shopping. You're maybe you're collecting something and you, you buy it frequently. Right. And your, your focus on that particular thing is hindering your ability to, you know, do other things like your job or, you know, be there for your family, things like that. Um, so the next thing that the next thing that they talk about is, you know, while there are many predisposing factors to addictive behavior, right, such as, you know, there is a genetic piece that hasn't been identified yet, but we talk about the environmental piece, but the personality traits that he notes are, you know, anxiety, unhappiness, being prone to negative emotions, impulsivity, carelessness, being disorganized. Like just because you experience some of these traits doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to develop a negative, uh, an addictive personality, right? Like if you go into the DSM, like we've been talking about before and you read the diagnostic criteria for any substance use disorder or like, like it, like those, those criteria predict that specific substance use disorder. If you were to identify the traits that you think of that constitute an addictive personality, you may find them all over the book, but you'll never find all of those specific traits clumped together in one place and it identified as addi addictive personality disorder. So yeah. what that basically means is it's not a real thing. Yeah. And the some myth. of the common traits that I actually have heard of is like somebody like being impulsive, mm -hmm. um, manipulative, dishonest, mm -hmm. um, somebody that doesn't take responsibility for their actions, somebody mm -hmm. that's selfish, mm -hmm. um, that has low self-esteem, mm -hmm. um, doesn't have any goals, mm -hmm. um, maybe has mood swings, right? Mm -hmm. um, right. Or like is those, isolated. Those things don't directly predict an addictive personality and only an addictive personality. That's the key. 
Mm-hmm. They could they could indicate a lot of different things going on, right? Exactly. And another thing that I want to touch on is just because you do something habitually or just because you do something excessively, it doesn't necessarily make it problematic for you, right? There are things that we do compulsively, like drinking coffee. Uh, like for me, one of my hobbies, like I talked about uh, two weeks ago, is archery. I love to shoot archery. Um, I would say I'm excessively enthusiastic about it because not that many people even know what archery is. But I'm able to go to the range, shoot for however long. I'm still able to, I'm able to hold down all of my obligations. I'm able to perform effectively at my job without issues. Um, I'm able to, you know, allocate my money. I'm able to do all of these things and doing and shooting archery does not impact that. You know what it made me think of too? People what? that really like to, this is not me. I wish it was me because it would make my life probably better. I'd be healthier, but people that work out a lot or go to the gym a lot. Right. Right. That's, that was one of the things that we, that was one of the things we noted earlier as one of the potentially addictive behaviors is working out. So like if you put, if you put down like, a lot of people develop an addiction to working out because they put down, say, drinking or drugs or, you know, some other type of addictive behavior. And they're like, well, you know, I'm working out. So, you know, at least I'm at least I'm getting I'm getting healthier. And I'm like, yeah, but now you're you're spending three out, you know, an hour a day, you know, one hour, three times a day at the gym, you're buying all of these supplements to help you bulk up. And because you're so obsessed with working out, you're, you're, you're not able to pay your rent. You're not able to make your car payment. You're, you're showing up late to work because you need to be working out. But like, if that's what your, if that's what your hobby is, like if you, if, if you like reading fitness magazines, you like listening to fitness podcasts, you like to watch the CrossFit games on TV. If you like to, you know, if that's what you like to spend your discretionary income on and it's not negatively impacting your life, that's perfectly fine. You could be excessively enthusiastic about working out, but if you're addicted to working out, like that's, that's the, um, that's the difference right? Doing something and like, if you're excessively enthusiastic about something, it's adding to your life, right? It's making your life subjectively better for you. But when you're addicted to something, I would argue that in some way or ways it's taking away from your life. It's making it subjectively worse for you. And you might not even realize it. Yeah. But, but that, that's one of the things that I think that, again, like I just kind of think about like people can be very excited and enthusiastic about working out right, without it necessarily being adi- an addiction. Right. But they mm-hmm. do it like every like, say, people that exercise five times a week right, for an mm-hmm. hour each mm-hmm. time. That's like, something that people are doing somewhat, you know, on a, that regular routine basis, but it's not necessarily negatively impacting their life. Right. And. I would also, I would also say, you know, the people that like to spend their money on coffee, right? If you're, if you're the type of person that loves to drink coffee, like I do, which is why we decided to partner with Brainwash Coffee, shout out Brainwash Coffee Company, go to brainwashcoffeeco.com, enter the code Sober Highway, you get 20% off. Um, like if you can spend your money on coffee and it doesn't take away from your life, then that's then that's fine. If you can afford to spend five dollars a cup a day that's on a, a cup of, of coffee, I mean that's <laughs> a lot of money. But like, if you can afford to spend five dollars a day on your cup of coffee in the morning, then fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you spending that five dollars a day on a cup of coffee means you're not able to um, attend to your other financial obligations, that's a problem. And you should probably address that. One of the things I strongly recommend to people is make your coffee at home. Buy K-cups, make pots of coffee, make iced coffee so you can save it for later. 
um, you know, that's what I've started to do. I noticed that, you know, I was, I was spending a lot of money at Dunkin' Donuts and while it wasn't, you know, majorly, you know, impacting me financially, I realized that if there's other, there's other things I want to do in my life, like say, if you're trying to save up for a car and you want to cut corners and find ways to, you know, save, you know, spend less money. I realized like, I need to stop going to Dunkin' Donuts. I should just start making my coffee at home and, you know, bringing like a thermos or, you know, a travel mug to work. And that's what I started doing. And I was saving so much money. And that's why I think that Brainwash Coffee Co., you know, their coffee is so goddamn good. Um, but I forgot what I was going to say. I lost my train of thought again. But um, well, I think ultimately we're just trying to say that the, the addictive personality is not like a real. It's not a real thing. Thing, And it's, it's not a diagnosis. It's not in, in the DSM that's used to diagnose. Right. Mm-hmm. There's there's nothing that indicates any of that. Um, right. So when someone says they have an addictive personality, this is the question that I ask people in in the in the program. And if they're, if they're really in tune with themselves, they can, they answer this question perfectly. The question is, so now that we've proven that the addictive personality is a myth, why, when someone says that they have an addictive personality, what is it that they're trying to do? Like, what does that mean? And one of my clients said to me, it's because they're, they're trying to blame their actions the things that they say, the things that they do, the way they think on something they can't control. Because when you blame it on something that you can't control, you're absolving yourself of any responsibility whatsoever. Yep. Avoiding personal responsibility and accountability. Exactly. So when you don't have to take any accountability for your actions, it makes it that much. It's like you just. You, yep. I, I can't help myself. That's just how I am. Right. Right. Exactly. And this, this brings me to another topic where say like, if you're in a relationship with someone, or if you have a friend that is consistently doing things like this to, to burn you, or they're constantly disappointing you in some way or another, and they say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I just have an anxiety problem. So I I tend to have outbursts or, you know, I struggle with depression and, you know, I sent, I tend to say things that I don't mean, or I do things that I don't really, you know, like I can't control myself and that's just who I am. Or even with addiction, like I have an addiction problem. Like I have an addictive personality. That's just what I do. You know, they're blaming, they're blaming their actions. They're blaming their, their things that they say on something they can't control. So for example, I'll tell a personal story. Um, I was in, a friend of mine had a, from way back in the day, you know, had a really bad anxiety problem and it caused him to have outbursts. And one day I said to him, I was like, bro, like what, what the fuck is going on? Like, why do you, like, why do you do this? And he said, well, that's just, that's just how I am. Right. Like that's just my personality. And I say, okay. Well, what are you doing to, to make it better? Right? Like it's okay to have an anxiety issue or a depression issue or to be in to be in recovery from an addiction. But if you're not doing anything about it, how can we expect the situation to get any better? If someone says to me, Oh, you know, I have an addiction or I'm, I have an anxiety issue. And that's why I say the things that I say, but like, you're not getting help. You're not seeing a therapist. You're not doing anything to make your outbursts go away. Then all of those things are going to keep happening. I'm going to still feel annoyed that this stuff is happening and I'm not going to want to be your friend anymore. You know? Well, and and I think that that's an important piece is like, you know, like, just because we're struggling with something mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we should do nothing about it. Right. Right. So like, if I know that I have trouble, you know, 
because my my emotions seem all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. I that that's where therapy could be very helpful, right? Mm-hmm. Or for some people, it's not even necessarily therapy. It could be an mm-hmm. outpatient program. It could be self help books. It could be journaling. It could be mm-hmm. yoga and meditation. I mean, it could be so many different things, right? Mm-hmm. But something that kind of helps you recognize what you're doing, right? How it affects other people. And then what else could I be doing instead that maybe would be beneficial to improve my relationships? Right. Right. You're absolutely correct on that. So that's all we have for this episode. If you enjoyed the content, Anika and I would really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review on all of the major podcasting platforms. I'm talking Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Also, please make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash thesoberhighway. On Instagram, we are instagram.com slash thesoberhighway underscore. Please, please, please don't forget the underscore. On the TikTok app, just search at thesoberhighway. If you want, DM us with any questions that you'd like us to answer on the podcast, or if you want to share with us any information that you think would be beneficial for our listeners to have. Catch you next week. Bye.